0: You no, in the Old Testament, about Israel and Jacob, remember I said, go oh, yeah, chapter 32, or whatever, is it 32? <laughs> yeah, chapter 32, no, nothing, nothing. All right, fine, turn to Genesis. It's my, you know, if we never get through John, it's your fault. <laughs> uh. Chapter 32. Chapter
1: 32.
0: Genesis chapter 32, while you guys are looking that up, let me just say, I know you're really busy during the week, and I know that sometimes this is the only time you have to come and do this, and that's fine, I understand. However, you know, throw to the television out, and get the Bible out, right? Because, you know, the television, it's all the same stuff over and over again, and, you know, and so, you know, anyway, I can just sit up here and download information to you, and that's not really good right and we don't want to do that so I the best I can do is kind of give you a deed and then you guys are in the week are doing your study and, and spiritual reading and things like that and uh, you know you can grow up okay well anyway chapter 32 so Jacob what's happened is Jacob remember he came with guile do you remember that point he came with guile to steal his brother's the blessing right his brother sold his birthright initially for some, some porridge right some lentils and uh, but then he comes to the blessing before his father dies, and Jacob sneaks in on Esau and gets the blessing. And, and, and uh, his father says, Your brother has come with guile. Right? And or he says, I have been God, God, whatever, whatever it says. So there's this connection with Nathaniel, right? An Israelite in whom there is no guile. It's this connection with Israel of the Old Testament. Okay, who was Jacob? You guys with me? We don't have time to go over all that again too, too carefully. But in chapter 32, Jacob, the one with guile, has a name change. And whenever there's a name change in Scripture, what happens? A new person. There's a new person. Yeah, covenant. Yeah, usually a covenant is formed with the person. But the whole idea of the covenant, remember, is this union with God. And so when you enter into that covenant, yeah, you're changed. And some men which enter into a unique covenant with God, their name is changed. When they usually it's when they gain a new role in salvation history. Okay? So he has his name changed in chapter 32. He's making his way back to a holy land. You remember back from our Salvation History study series, when we talked about it. We talked about the Holy Land or Jerusalem. Okay, and then there's this sea over here, right? And then Syria's up here, and Egypt's down here. And remember I said, you can understand all of salvation history, a movement toward or away from the Holy Land or Jerusalem. Remember that? Well, this is another example, a very small one, where Jacob sins, he steals the birthright, okay? Or he steals the blessing, and he's exiled to actually, to Haran up here to where Laban is, Okay, is his uncle, yes? Right. Uncle, yeah. And, anyways, comes uh, so and then he comes back, and his name's changed. He goes through this conversion, and he comes back to the Holy Land, and he's on his way back, he's about to meet Esau again for the first time since that happened. And, just before he's about to see Esau, he has this, he, there's a, there's a, a night in between, and he falls asleep, and this. Uh, experience In verse 22, chapter 32, verse 22. Chapter 32, verse 22. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two maids, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Job. Sheila, you want to keep going?
1: He took them and sent them across the street, and likewise everything that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking that he did not prevail against Jacob. He touched the hollow of his thigh, and Jacob's thigh was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Your name shall no more be called Jacob but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob asked him, tell me, I pray, your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the of to face Keniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved.
0: Okay, so what happens to him? How does he interpret this whole experience? What has just taken place from his perspective? Yeah, yeah. He's wrestled with an angel or with God or whatever, whatever's going on here. But he interprets it. I have seen God face to face. And who else has seen God face to face? Moses. Mm-hmm. Who else? All right. Who else? And who else? Good. Okay. Remember, we're in the Gospel of John. Remember, and just a few verses back, what had been said about Jesus at the end of the prologue? He's a, they to
1: see
0: God face to face. And here we run to another situation where a man has seen God face to face. When Moses sees God face to face, when anyone sees God face to face, what happens to them? They're transformed. They're transformed. They're made into another man. Okay. To go back to John with all that as a background. And I'm going to say a whole lot more about Nathaniel. There's a lot of things we could say that are it's kind of conjecture, and I guess you could say what this is even conjecture. It's a, it's a very difficult text to interpret. this story about Nathaniel. Where in John? John chapter one, verse forty-three. verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. Tyler, you want to read that for us? Verse 40. your Bible. Tyler. Tyler! The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Messiah the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Now remember that phrase, come and see, has been it's already come up one time before, right? Yeah, Jesus so. says says to who? Andrew and John the Apostle, right? Who We know by tradition was there. Okay, the unnamed Apostle or disciple. And so he says, come and see. And what else did I say about it? Come and see. In John, he's writing on what? What was that? Yeah, there's two levels we can understand. Come and check it out or a deeper come and see. Right, come and gaze upon this to be to be changed. i talked not talking about that. Seeing is a, is like it's it's just like knowledge. Seeing and knowledge are are two aspects of the same thing. What we see becomes part of us. What we know becomes part of us. So come and see. Come and see what I've seen. Visualize. Yeah, exactly. A lot more than just yeah. So come and see. Now Nathaniel's coming with what? With unbelief. Right? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Yeah. he's in doubt. Yeah. Right? Right. He's come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile. Behold, a son of Israel who is not like Jacob. Right? Who's one who, who is pure of heart. And Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus said, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. And so suddenly, what happens to Nathanael? He believes. He believes. He suddenly changed. Why are you shaking your head, Peter? I'm just like, I mean, why? It doesn't make yeah. sense. It's, it's, it's like this complete switch. Right? And that's why it's a very difficult text to interpret. On a side note, there's some things about fig trees in the Old Testament. Okay, first of all, what, what, what thing about fig trees? What comes to your mind immediately? The garden. The garden. garden. What did you say? The garden the Garden of Eden, right? The only tree we know is in the Garden of Eden. It's one of the trees associated with oh. paradise. And for the Jews, when the Messiah comes, there's there's text in the Old Testament. I'm trying to turn to it right now. But when the Messiah comes, it, every man will dwell under his fig tree and under his grapevine. Okay. They took that very seriously, and and uh, the tradition among the Jews was to study underneath fig trees in preparation for the coming of the Messiah. Okay? It would make sense. You want to, get, you want to prepare yourself. You want to put all those things around you. Okay? And so it's possible. Some said it's possible that Nathaniel... Was reading certain texts in the Old Testament about the Messiah the day before under the fig tree. And so, some scholars make connections with the the, uh, the lectionary cycle in the synagogue. Okay, that it's very possible he could have been reading certain texts which have been would have pointed, which would kind of keyed him into this. But that's a lot of heavy duty stuff. For us, the most important thing is that Nathaniel comes with unbelief. Jesus identifies him as one without guile. And who does he see at that moment? Who is Jesus? But the glory of God in the Gospel of John. That glory of God which Moses beheld and was changed. So Nathaniel sees Jesus, the glory of the Father, and suddenly he has a full-blown conversion. I mean Peter shaking his head because it is a full-blown conversion. He declares him to be the Son of God, the King of Israel, the Messiah. Right? Translate King for us, the Messiah, the anointed one. Right? Goes a little further. Verse 50. Jesus answered him, Because I said I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You shall see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly I say to you, you will see the heaven opened, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. What's that remind you of? Jacob's
1: ladder.
0: Jacob's right? Ladder. Okay. That Jacob... If we, we're not going to go back and read the text right now. That's the kind of stuff I'm saying. You guys can do this at home, hopefully. Okay? The G, that John picks up on some words of Christ, which are very important in light of what we're saying, of in, in, in this interpretation, in light of Jacob and Israel of the Old Testament... That the angels ascend and descend upon Jacob of the Old Testament. And it's in that text in Genesis that God promises to be the God of Jacob if he follows him. Okay? Jesus now is identified as the new Jacob. We're very the new Israel. The angels will ascend and descend upon him. If Jesus is the new Israel, and Nathaniel is a true Israelite, what's an Israelite again? The descendant of Israel. Yeah, son of Israel. And Jacob is the new Israel. Then Nathaniel is who in relation to Jesus? A son. Yeah, a child of God. What is the point of the Gospel of John? That you may believe, and in believing. You will have life in him. And the center of the prologue of the Gospel of John, you remember, is to become children of God. Nathanael undergoes that conversion, which is going to become a repetitive story in the Gospel for us of these men coming to Christ and seeing him and being converted. Okay? Does that make sense? Okay. Any questions? Yes. Uh what Nathaniel says is similar to what Peter said when Jesus says you are the Christ, the Son of the Living God in Matthew. Right. Why doesn't Jesus give him such blessings blessing to like he does to Peter? I wouldn't say he doesn't give him any blessings in He what? says that you're gonna see angels ascending and descending upon him I mean, that's pretty oh, awesome. Yeah, right? The other thing too is he says that it um, he says flesh
1: and blood not revealed to you, but the father. So I wonder.
0: It's a good, it's a good insight, and I I mean, maybe we could just say certain men are called in different ways. Peter has a certain calling in the Gospels. Nathaniel has another one. Okay, and so, any other thoughts or comments on that? Do you guys understand what he's saying? There's a similar phrase. That's a good thing to point out. Is your your calling? You got to start paying attention to not just John, but the Synoptics also. Because each one of them is going to give us tools to interpret the text. Okay. In fact, Lewis, you had a question for us that we didn't deal with at the beginning of the class. So what was it? Well, this is going back a little bit. Since we're going to the way at Cana now, we'll take a quick... Well, Go ahead. The thing I wondered about was in the other Gospels, the first two disciples... First of all, Jesus picks the disciples as he's walking along the shore and they're fishermen. Mm-hmm. First two disciples that he comes across are Andrew
1: and Peter, and then after that, the sons of Zebedee. Where in John's gospel, he comes across the sons of Zebedee on the shore of the Jordan, okay, who are John the Baptist's followers,
0: and then after that, he comes to Andrew, and then Andrew brings Peter. Peter wasn't there, right? So, which is just a reversal of the other gospel. And also the I, I can see that maybe the shores of the Jordan track with where they were fishing to some extent. Probably not. But probably, be, yeah, they probably would have been fishing on the Sea of Galilee. That's what I would have thought. You know? Two different locations, total reversal. But the thing that gets me yeah, is a reversal between John and the other gospels. And if we don't have any faith in God, what's our interpretation? It's a contradiction. Yeah, it's a contradiction this contradicts and therefore this cannot be the divine word of God and
1: therefore you shouldn't be Christians how's that for a 1-2-3 takedown <laughs> so what's the answer Lewis just discovered a major problem with
0: the Bible guys and if there's a problem with the Bible it's not the word of God I don't, I don't know if this is helpful at all but um, Frank Sheen's book on
1: I think it's called Coming to Know Christ he talks about um, how the that it wasn't something, I mean, we would find it very important that you should name things in sequence. He seems to think that just their literary technique didn't, that wasn't a big deal to them. I don't know if that's
0: helpful at all, but. Okay. And I don't know anything so about So literary, te- all right, that's a, that's no, an interesting answer, and there's something right about that. It might be also can be mis- misunderstood, but all right, that's one possibility. What else?
1: John was there, obviously. Mm-hmm. The others, it was word of mouth. Okay. And also, you know, witnesses often watch the same accident, and uh, four witnesses each one is a different, has seen something else.
0: Okay, so different perspectives?
1: Yeah.
0: <coughs> I'm going to say the problem with that, the problem with that is, then you've got one that's right and one that's wrong, and now we've got error in the Bible. Authors are the authors are to be elevated by divine inspiration to give their perspective, but their perspective must jive with the truth. Okay? It can be two perspectives on the same event, but both perspectives have to be true perspectives. And what Lewis is pointing out is we've got a full-blown contradiction. They can't both be right. Okay? Carrie? Jennifer, didn't you say something? It's a, it's a perspective. Okay. Can I put up here error? Error. We can else? cross that out by faith. I mean... Error by faith? No. You oh. can cross
1: out
0: error okay. because
1: of faith. So if you take
0: faith, as your first and so what I'm saying. And if you, take, if you have faith, then you don't need to consider that. You know, all right. So, the so blah, it depends so on what you want to How about we can put up blind faith? <laughs> Very emotional. Oh, yes. Very emotional <laughs> Bible talk? Or we say Bible babble? That's just Bible stuff. Let's stay away from We're that. I'm confused why they can't hold be yeah. true, because what if they both happened at different times and they met Christ more than once and it was a new experience both mm-hmm. times.
1: Amen, Peter. Thank you.
0: So, okay. Thank you, Peter. Okay? Peter. the gospels in fact i would say all of these are right and peter and peter's got the best one okay these are different perspectives given okay yes technique and order was not so important in certain texts Okay. Uh, for example, the prologue isn't so much concerned exactly with time order, although there is a time progression in it, but that's not the primary concern of the text. But here we have a very much a historical account going on and when history is being given in the scriptures it's history. Okay. So but the question is, is it possible that there were two callings? And I'd say yeah, there may have been three or four callings. <laughs> I have had like what? Like you know, 600 callings in my life. If someone were walking around with me and he was called by God on this date and he was called by God on this date and he was called by God on this date and I kept going and turning and going and, and isn't that our, 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 our experience all the time in a relationship, especially with each other, but also with God? That we're, we're turning, we're coming. And when Jesus speaks, yes, he draws the soul in a way that no other person can, but still there's that first, that scene. And then going back to our home, and then Christ saying, no, come on. It's got to be more than that. It's not just one day, my friend. You've got to give up your whole life. You've got to give up everything you had before and come and follow me. Right? In fact, they return to the sea to go fishing after the resurrection. Remember that? And Jesus appears to them and says, hey, nah, not that kind of fishing anymore for you guys. Right? You're going to be fishers of men. Again, he does that, Right? So definitely, I would say multiple callings in early on the early days Make sense. Yes, we're all on the same page. It's a great question. Chapter two <laughs> believer. All right, here we go. What is this? Are we here? Fourth hour? Fourth hour together or something like that? Boston? I think I think That's the fourth hour. All right. And you all, how many of you have read my paper that I wrote? Okay, we're well, going to be very helpful today. Now, let me just say as a, as a thing about my, that paper I wrote. It's not perfect, I know. And, uh, you know, I'm not a very good writer. I did the best I could. And I just thought that would be helpful for you so that we wouldn't spend a lot of time at the wedding at Cana.
1: Is it difficult? Because
0: when I, before I would hand this thing out, I used to spend like three sessions on the wedding at Cana, or four sessions. It was very difficult. So we're going to fly through the wedding at Cana. Okay? First of all, what do we need to know? Context. Always grant the context of the Gospel of John. And what's our context here in the verse 1 that we have to be aware of? Seven the seventh day.
1: What? Third day. Third day. Third day. Yeah, Peter, what are you Three and seven, you know. Who says to it that wine back
0: there? <laughs> Three and four and seven. <laughs> on the third day. Because if you go back to chapter 1, it's the day after the day after. Well, help us. Come on, show it to us. Let's what see you see are talking you talking about, Peter? I know you talking about. Alright, in verse 20... Go slow, you will work on... Well, Alright, okay. in verse 29... Uh, before verse 29, know what do you need? So before verse
1: 29.
0: Chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was made nothing that was made, in Him was life... And the light was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. What book of the Bible is that from? Genesis. Genesis. And what happens on the first day in Genesis? The light. light shines into the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. John is mirroring or repeating for us day one of Genesis. Okay? Go ahead, Peter. So we've got day one. Some of you have done this with me before. I'm sorry, we've got to do it again. Go ahead, here. There's the word of his life. And then in verse 29... It says, oh, go with him as he does this, guys. So read with him. All right. Go ahead. So then he's finished talking about John. And the next day, John saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Yeah. So hold on, hold on. Verse 29. Read the first three letters. Three, three words. Well, next day. Okay, so we got day number one. And on verse 29, you've got... Day number two, the next day, right? Go ahead, Peter. Then in verse 35, the next day. Day number three. And then just another verse. Can you skip a verse on me? 43. 43.
1: 43,
0: 43. good. So we've got verse 29, verse 35, and verse 43. Day number four. And then Peter. And then three days later on the third day. What chapter verse? Chapter two, verse one. On the third day. On the third day of what? The third day after the last one we talked about, right? One, two, three, and you got, I shouldn't have put my comms there, it's confusing. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven days. You've all been with me on this one, yes? I thought the Jews counted the third day starting with the first so thing. Because you'd be just hanging it up. It's, it's a big, stupid not don't, don't they. So pick it up. Don't
1: they start with the day? That the last day would
0: be the first day. So day four would be the first day. You get the sixth day.
1: Four, five,
0: six. Exactly. Because the Jews counted their days differently. They can <laughs> Okay, let's just. All right. Look, we counted them a hundred times. So there we go. Day number one in the beginning was the light, right? The next day in twenty in verse twenty-nine. The next day in verse thirty-five. The next day in verse forty-nine. Three days. Sorry. Seven days. Okay. We'll come back. Christ frozen the third day from Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So the
1: oh.
0: All right. Are we together? Seven days? Fine. <laughs>
1: seven now. I don't
0: really understand why you start from four. Because we had. All right. It on the third day. So yes. On the third see. day, what? We're already on the fourth day of the gospel of John. And then suddenly we get to chapter 2, verse 1, and what happens? And on the third day, day, the third day, presumably what? Of what? That's the question. So I don't
1: understand why it's from 4 and not 1.
0: Maybe it goes backwards. Oh, maybe it goes backwards. It's possible. It goes backwards. The third day after the so <coughs> so every be back on the third, the third day,
1: day after the
0: Or the third day after the baptism. It's true. It's possible. However. <laughs> yes. All these things are possible. However. <laughs> However, John is writing in a particular context, and his context is what creation. And in the creation account, how many days are there? Seven days. Seven days. Is it possible to read John chapter one in the beginning of chapter two to come up with seven days? Is it possible? Yes. And going back to Genesis, what took place on the
1: seventh day? God
0: rested. God rested. Yes, that's true. But when God rested, what did he do?
1: He
0: blessed creation. And when a thing is blessed, what happens to it? It's
1: transformed.
0: Into what?
1: The Son God.
0: It is sanctified. It is made holy. Am I right? It's made holy. Holiness is an attribute of God. When something is blessed and it is sanctified, it is joined to God. It is dedicated to God. On the seventh day, man was made to enter into the rest of God. To enter into a relationship with God in such a way that he entered into God's very own life. Remember, we've talked about this a hundred times. The number seven for the Jews means what? What? It's a symbol of what? The covenant. The covenant. Why is it a symbol of the covenant? Shabbat.
1: It's the same root.
0: Yes, the root of the word for... for, Seven. Sorry. The word... Yes, it's fine. Number seven, and the word for over covenant in the Hebrew language shares the same root. So the two things can be interchangeable. The number seven can symbolize covenant. And, okay... So oftentimes, the number seven is represented. We'll look at one of those tonight. Are you all with me? Yes. Okay. In the Gospel of John, then, we're reading within the context of Genesis. And in Genesis, the relationship between God and man, between man and woman, was to be perfected, entered into most fully on that seventh day, the day of covenant union. And when a covenant takes place two parties become one in relation to the thing they're entering into a covenant about. Okay? What's that sound like? Two become one.
1: Marriage. Marriage. (laughs) In the Old Testament, consistently
0: the relationship between God and his people is spoken of in terms of a marriage covenant. And here we are. In the Gospel of John, in the new creation, on the seventh day, and where are we standing? In Cana, at a wedding. Think it's on accident? I don't think so. Okay.
1: Don't make it more obvious. I'll
0: just say on the seventh day. Ah, uh, Okay, that's a good question. Uh, in fact, there may be multiple layers, and I would suggest that there probably are multiple layers to this. And that the third day for John is also very significant in light of his background with Moses and Exodus and the law. Remember we talked about that Jesus is going to recreate the law. Right? He's going to take the law and make it what it was supposed to be. He's going to take the flesh and imbue it with the spirit. He's going to take the natural and give it the supernatural. Okay. So there's all sorts of themes from Exodus entering into John. And in Exodus, guess what happens? When they get to Mount Sinai, Moses tells the people to prepare themselves for yes, three days before they enter into their covenant with God on Mount Sinai. Okay, my brother's going to write his thesis on that point. I think his doctoral thesis, his dissertation, work, Um, on the third day, on the seventh day. There was a marriage at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Interesting. What do we have? We have a marriage. We have the background of creation, of Genesis, chapter 2 and chapter 3. Who's in the story in chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Genesis?
1: Eve. Eve. Who else? Adam. We've got Adam. And God. We've got Eve we've got God
0: and we've got the devil the serpent okay that's our contextual background that we're working with and here we are on the seventh day and the first thing we know is there's a woman what's the first thing we knew at the at the, at the pinnacle of the creation account there was a woman and what did she do she was that. What's that? She listened to the devil. Yes. She spoke with the serpent. You remember St. John Chrysostom. What was the woman doing speaking with the serpent in the first place? For she should have been speaking and conversing with the one for whom she was made, with whom she shared all things on equal terms. She should have been having the conversation with her husband and not the conversation with the serpent. Christ in the gospel of John has come to give us what we lost in the fall and therefore what should we expect it, but a restoration of what should have taken place. Was that what you are going to say? Go ahead. Yes? I was going to say that he
1: would be conversing with
0: the woman or that she would be
1: conversing with
0: him. Good. Okay. Alright. So where was Where was who? Adam, Adam, was oh, here we go again. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: so we're going to talk about that. Let's, we're going to talk about that. Um have <laughs> right. Turn to Judges chapter fourteen. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. Judges chapter 14. Judges, 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 Judges. Chapter 14. You guys might think I'm making too much out of this whole thing, but I think by the time we're done tonight... You so much of that. Oh, we got 15. minutes. <laughs> funny. All right. The story of Samson's marriage. Chapter 14, verse 10, Sheila.
1: And his father went down to the woman, and Samson made a feast there, for so the young men used to do. And when the people saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. And Samson said to them, let me now put a riddle to you, if you can tell me what it is within the seven days of the feast, and find it out. Then I will give you thirty linen garments and thirty festival garments.
0: Okay, you can also see that in Tobit chapter, Run to turn there, Tobit chapter uh, Fort, uh Tobit chapter uh, it's right there somewhere, Tobit chapter eleven, verse nineteen, if you want to write that down. Why do I point that out? What kind of feast is it? It's a marriage feast. How long does it last? Same in Tobit. For the Jews, marriage feasts lasted seven days. Why? Because seven was the day of covenant. That's how long you've feasted for and entered into your marriage in order to enter fully into the covenant. Okay? That's why it is extremely important in the Gospel of John. Okay? You can look it up on Tobit on your, on your own. Turn back to John chapter 2. Let's go ahead and read the, the, the text that we're dealing with and then we're going to come back and talk about it. Sheila, go ahead. John chapter
1: 2, verse 1. On the third day, there was a marriage at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the marriage with his disciples. When the wine failed, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, oh woman, what have you to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to his servants, do whatever he tells you. Now six stone jars were standing there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the steward of the feast. So they took it. When the steward of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Word of the feast called the and said it to him, Every man serves the good wine first, and when men have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of the signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in
0: him. Okay. D. A. Carson, who's a, who's a Uh, He's a Protestant scholar, but he's very uh, well-known, very reliable. And he says, a wedding celebration could last as long as a week, and a financial responsibility lay with the groom. To run out of supplies would be a dreadful embarrassment. There is some evidence that it could also lay the groom open to a lawsuit from the aggrieved relatives of the bride. Whoa, that's pretty heavy duty. Okay. okay. That among the Jews it was taken so seriously that you provide for the feast. If you fail you would incur, you would be open yourself to a lawsuit. Okay. When does a lawsuit occur? When there's been an When a good contract and covenant—the same type of thing. Okay. When a covenant is broken to not provide for the feast was seen to break part of the covenant or to break the marriage covenant itself that the groom had not done his duty in relationship to the bride and her family okay so John gives a particular detail right at the beginning on the third day there was a marriage of Canaan and Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there there was a woman there And Jesus also was invited to the marriage. There was a man there. When the wine had failed, the first first thing we find out about the wedding, besides who's attending, is that the wine had failed. Whose duty was it to provide for the marriage feast? The The groom. Who's the groom? The husband. What's that? The husband. Yeah, okay, so hold on to this. The groom hasn't been totally identified yet. Okay? But he's there, and he's in the background. And it just so happens that another man walks into the scene. And that man happens to be Jesus Christ. Verse 3 When the wine had failed, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, O woman, what have you to do with me? So immediately, we find out there's a breaking of the marriage covenant and immediately based upon that, it the covenant lawsuit coming in before us. The evidence for the breaking of the covenant. And who's the guilty party in that? The bridegroom. Suddenly, Jesus steps into the scene, and his mother comes to him and asks him to provide. How does Jesus identify her? What's that remind you of? Eve. Why does it remind you of Eve? Because she's
1: the first woman.
0: Not only that. This is the first thing that Adam says to her. Woman. woman uh, sorry. Flesh my flesh. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm record this. is really bad. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, if we go to back there, you yeah, The first thing he calls her is woman. Okay? Father uh, Raymond Brown, who some of you who might know Father Raymond Brown might cringe a little bit. However... Father Brown was very trustworthy in his early years. It was just later that he, he, he got involved in some interesting ideas. This is what he has to say. The time, in fact, he's a great, he's a trust, he's a great biblical scholar for his whole life. It's just that he, unfortunately, as many biblical scholars do, as they become well-known and more and more involved, oftentimes they lose, lose their faith. they get too smart for their own good, if you will. Okay? But this is early Father Brown. He says, the title woman becomes more understandable in the background of Genesis. There are many references to Genesis in this first week of Jesus' activity. The prologue begins with, in the beginning, the words which are the title of the Genesis uh, for Genesis in the Hebrew Bible. The prologue tells of the coming of light into darkness. At the baptism, the Spirit descends and remains on Jesus just as the Spirit of God moved over the face of the primeval waters. The time from the baptism to Cana, the, the, the beginning of the work of the new Adam, is carefully divided into seven days, matching the seven creative days of Genesis. In this light, we can compare the woman in the Garden of Eden who led Adam to the first evil act, "...with the woman at Cana who leads the new Adam to his first glorious work." That's a key sentence. I'll read it again. I've got another quote for you. It says a similar thing from uh, Cardinal Newman. "...in this light, we can compare the woman in the Garden of Eden who led Adam to the first evil act... "...with the woman at Cana who leads the new Adam to his first glorious work." "...in the prophecy of Genesis we hear that God will put enmity between the woman and the serpent... "...and that her seed will crush the serpent." In calling his mother woman, Jesus may well be identifying her with the new Eve, who will be the mother of his disciples as the old Eve old Eve was the mother of all the living. That's good stuff, huh? Okay, I read it. I read that one sentence twice because we can compare the two. And therefore, if we really want to know about Mary's role in the New Testament. It's very helpful to go back and know by heart Eve's role in the fall. And that's exactly what Newman and the church fathers talk about. I call Newman the church father. He's referencing church fathers in his text. Okay? In that awful transaction, there were three parties concerned, the serpent, the woman, and the man. And at the time of their sentence, an event was announced for the future in which the three same parties were to meet again the serpent, the woman, and the man. But it was to be a second Adam and a second Eve, and the new Eve was to be the mother of the new Adam. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. The seed of the woman is the word incarnate, and the the woman whose seed or son he is, is his mother Mary. This interpretation, this gets to the key sentence again, This interpretation, the parallelism it involves, seemed to me undeniable. But at all events, the parallelism is the doctrine of the fathers from the earliest times. And this being established, we are able, by the position and office of Eve in our fall, to determine the position and office of Mary in our restoration. We can ask, what did Eve do? And then we can look at the Virgin Mary and see a reversal of what Eve had done. Okay? It's a great text by Newman. He just pieces together all these quotes from the church fathers on that very point. Okay? Uh, Mary the second Eve. It's still being printed. You can pick it up for probably uh, three bucks from TAM. There you go. Okay? So, what can we say about Eve? What did she do? Come on, on. What does she do? She messed it up for us. Yes. How did she mess it up for us? What is the progression of events? She spoke to the That's right. She spoke with the serpent. Had the illest conversation. Then what?
1: She did the
0: She takes the fruit on her own, apart from her husband. And then what does she do? She offers it to her husband. Okay? And then he eats and they fall. So what should we see in the reversal order? In the reverse order, what should have happened in that circumstance? Should she have been speaking with the serpent? No. No. Saint John is Who should she have been speaking with? Her husband. And who do we find Mary speaking with? Jesus Christ. Now this might be a little confusing. It's her son, husband. What are you talking about? Again, in the Old Testament, the relationship between God and Israel. God and his people was always a relationship is spoken of in terms of a marriage covenant. And our relationship with God is always spoken of in a marriage covenant. Okay? No matter whether you're his mother or not. Okay? My relationship with my God is spoken of in terms of a husband and a wife. And guess whose role I provide? The wife. Yes, I'm a man, but I take on a feminine nature in a sense to God, a receiving nature to God. We all do. That's why the church is spoken of in the in the feminine, she, okay, in relation to our divine <coughs> element. Well, so I think you keep some facts here. Number one, the the of man,
1: true. That Eve spoke with the serpent, mm-hmm. and, and true that Eve also gave some food to Adam. Mm-hmm. But when God in uh, Genesis uh, chapter one, chapter, sorry, chapter three, mm-hmm. uh, if you read the verses twelve the woman whom you put here with me, she gave Perfect. me food from the tree. So mm-hmm. I did it. So in front of God, Adam is blaming on Eve. right? Just because of the, the, the blame.
0: Perfect. And that's why both of them get cast out. Yes. So let me go to the next point I have right in my notes. The right very next one, Francis. That's why we're going to talk about this woman thing. No, I don't about to blame. I don't want And watch Jesus how he undoes it and reverses everything Adam has done. Okay? We have a a threefold parallel here. Okay? We have the old Adam in Genesis. We have the failed bridegroom in John. And we have another man, a new bridegroom in Jesus Christ. Now I said in John, in the gospel, in, in the text. Okay? A three-fold parallel. Notice, where is Adam at the fall? No, not, not he's absent. Actually, in the text, in this conversation between the serpent and Eve, the serpent speaks in the plural. Indicating it's possible that Adam was actually there. In fact, I would say Adam probably was there. Why? Because this is his new bride. And I'm sorry, but you don't go very far. I have firsthand experience from the bride on your wedding day.
1: You're
0: right there. Okay? But he's silent. In the Gospel of John, the failed bridegroom does not speak a word.
1: Adam
0: didn't have the guts enough
1: to say no. That's right. To say no. <laughs> That's right. That's
0: right. Okay? Just like that. Genesis 3 is the reverse image of the Cana episode. As Eve prompted Adam to defy the Lord and drag the human family into sin, so Mary prompts Eve, the new Adam, to initiate his mission of salvation. Okay? Now, We get to the most difficult verse of the the text, verse 4. And Jesus said to her, O woman, what have you to do with me? Who has a new American out there? Francis, read that for me. We got you, Jesus. Somebody else? Yeah, woman, well, how does your concern affect me? Woman, how does your concern affect me? My, my Ignatius, my RSV says, what is it, what are you to do with me, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, who else has something different? What
1: to me and to
0: be He literally. Beautiful! You must be reading from either a Dewey Rings or the Confraternity. yes? what is the on fraternity, okay, which is based on the duet rings. Fine. Read it again for us.
1: Uh, literally says, What to me and to thee?
0: Taking from Jerome's Vulgate, Quid mehi et tibi est mulier. How many people know Latin in here? Moliere. What? To me. to me and to, to me thee is, is, is it, oh woman what to you and to me okay what between what is this between us okay whenever you get to a text in the scriptures and when you're reading it's a good idea to have a number of different versions out there cuz your translations are not perfect whenever you get a translation that doesn't seem to fit one or every version has a far different perspective on it you know there's a problem in the text it's difficult to translate it's difficult to translate Okay? This is one of those texts that's difficult to translate. It just so happens, the reason it's difficult to translate is most likely because it's a Hebrew, Hebrew idiom being used. And it's being brought into Greek in John. And it's difficult to translate in the Greek exactly what's taking place. When you get to something like that, how should you interpret the text? What do you have before you reading the text that's going to help you interpret the text? Look, what does it sound like? Jesus. Mary says, come on, make some wine. Right? And Jesus says, forget you. Get out of here. <laughs> we'll see what happens next. Does that make sense? Does that make sense?
1: <laughs>
0: no. Does that make, first of all, that Jesus is going to blow his mother off one. Okay? look, this is God speaking. He's speaking to his mother. He doesn't you, you know at least a little respect, please Jesus. okay? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So what is the context of the situation? The context is a wedding feast. It's a wedding feast in light of creation and we have a conversation between our divine Lord and the woman. A divine conversation. A conversation that didn't happen in the beginning. And Jesus' words to her are, what is this between you and me? Or what is this to you and me? Okay? It's a Hebrew idiom. Turn back to Genesis. Oh, Norma, you got to go. Can you guys give me uh, four minutes? We've got to cover this one point. Four minutes, I'm sorry. I apologize. Okay. Uh, go to Genesis uh Just turn to Genesis. Chapter 9. We'll get there, don't worry. Chapter 9, verse 12. We're going to look at a couple texts real quick in Genesis. Chapter 9, verse 12. And God said, This is the flood story. This is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that you see a similar phrase in there? Yeah. Okay. Turn to Genesis chapter 17. Verse 2. This is Abraham. And I will make my covenant between me and you. Verse 10 of the same chapter. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you. Do you think that's covenant language being used? That's called a Hebrew idiom. But it's used over and over and over again in reference to this one thing. It's a, it's a way of speech to identify a particular thing taking place. And it's a Hebrew idiom talking about covenant. Okay? Chapter 23, verse 12. This is the best one. As Marianne very well knows. Abraham, here's the story Abraham's trying to buy a plot of land to bury his wife. Then Abraham, then, verse go back to verse 10. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites of all who went in in the gate of the city, No, my Lord, hear me, I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it, in the presence of the sons of my people, I give it to you, bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land. But if you will hear me, I will give you the price of the field. Accept it from me then I may bury my dead. there. What's he saying? Ephron's like, have it? Take the land. And he's saying, I will buy it from you. Verse 14. Uh, okay, okay. That I may bury my debt. Verse 14. Ephron answered Abraham, my lord listen to me, a piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between me and you? In modern English, what's it sound like he's saying? Some sense, maybe a similar thing. Jesus saying to his mother, What is that? What concern is that of mine? What is that between me and you? Bury your dead. Abraham agreed with Ephron. Now listen, if we were understanding that in modern English, what would we expect Abraham to do then, if he agrees? What's that? He, he would not pay him. He would simply go and take the land. He agreed. And what does he do? Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver he made in the hearing of the people. When Ephron, Ephron? Yeah. when Ephron said, what is this between me and you? Abraham heard it as Ephron's covenant agreement. His yes, and Abraham's response was to pay him. Translate between me and you as yes, I will enter into this covenant with you. And he paid him. Turn back to John. The last thing we're going to look at and we're going to go. Verse 3. When the wine had failed, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, O woman, what have you to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Okay? There's our second verse that makes no sense in the text if we interpret it the way modern interpreters interpret it, modern translators interpret it. Okay? What is this between me and you? Are Jesus' words of covenant? Yes, I will enter into the covenant with you. And Mary understands very well what she's saying. And so she turns with that promise of her divine husband and says, do whatever he tells you to do. Does that make sense? Why does he get my hour, but you're not yet? Ah, good question. We're over time. We're going to come back to that. We'll just hit the highlights of that next time, okay? A, it's a great question. We've got to deal with that point, okay? I'm sorry we, we didn't get all the way through it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's conclude in prayer. And the only pottery Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. St. John oh. the Evangelist. only Amen. Thank you. We'll see you next week. Same time, same place.